Morning, church. We are back here again to do this thing that we know how to do best, and that is praising God, even through um, His Word. Hey. Um, so today, church, we are going to be carrying on with our Savior series as we do every week um, in the Book of Luke. Um, it's like a never-ending series. Hey, for those of you who watch Netflix. <laughs> Except that this one has got revelations every week, which I love. Um, but unlike a Netflix series, it ends, you know. Um, new producers will come through and they'll decide, ah, we're cutting this series short. But this one is continuous. It's been there since the beginning of the ages and it still continues today. Um, and that's our God. Uh, he's, he's an amazing God. Um, but before we dig into today's word, um, can we just pray briefly? Father God, we thank you. Lord, you are worthy of all praise and honor. Um, we thank you, Lord, and your Father, for this opportunity to come before your throne of glory to listen to your word, Almighty God. We pray that, O oh Lord, you may open our eyes, that you may open our ears, that our hearts may be receptive to your word, that we may allow your word to transform us, Almighty God, that we may not hold anything back from you, Almighty God, that we may willingly, a Lord Moengwele, accept your word, a Lord Heavenly Father, as the living truth, a Lord Moengwele, as the waters, a Lord Heavenly Father, and that are going to quench our thirst, Almighty God, this morning. We thank you, Lord Heavenly Father, that we shall utilize your word, a Lord Moengwele, to administer to the nations of the world. Edify your kingdom, Almighty God, Moengwele, and give glory to your name. We thank you and we ask these things in your lovely and precious name. Amen. So, church, we are um, going to just recap briefly. Um, our brother Prince, Prince Blom, last week ministered powerfully um, on forgiveness and gratitude um, in the book of Luke 17, verses 1 to 19. Um, if we remember, and for those of you who weren't here last week, we do have the sermon on Spotify, but because I'm a nice guy, right? I'm going to give you just small synapses of what he shared with us. So Prince spoke um, about forgiveness and gratitude. He spoke about um, how when we are offended, how we need to have a short account and have a desire to sort it out immediately. Nugget number one. If there's an offense with someone before offering, um, he mentioned that you would need to even, as Jesus says in his word in Matthew 5, that even before you come and bring your offering, you need to drop your offering, go to that person, reconcile, and then come back and give your offering with a clean, uh, with a clean heart. And you can find that in, in Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24. And then he also spoke about rebuking, that... Rebuking is calling attention to wrongdoing, but not to judging a person. Um, we must rebuke the offense and not the person, just like Jesus did, brothers and sisters. So we don't rebuke for superiority just because we want to see ourselves above another person or we want to gain power over a certain situation, right? But we do it with humility for reconciliation. So Jesus understood that if offense is left unattended, this was what Prince said, the wound can fester and become bigger than the initial issue. 
So we mustn't allow for, for situations or things that have offended us to fester in our hearts. And then lastly, he spoke on forgiveness. He said we must repent um, and, we must for, and you must forgive those who have offended you or the person who's offended you or the situation that's offended you. And you are to release them and not remember the offense anymore. And that's found in the book of Luke 17 verse 4. The reason why I am just touching on these points is that it, it really then emphasizes, um, as children of God, um, how God holds a higher standard in his kingdom than the lesser kingdom, which is of the world, right? And this, these attributes that uh, Prince was showing on speak to the personality of a believer. Your characteristic needs to be that of a, ki- of a kingdom mindset. We are called to a higher standard, and that is the kingdom of God, and not the lesser world, which is the, the kingdom of this world. So today we'll be speaking on our topic, which is losing your life, or lose your life to keep it, which is found in Luke 17, verses 20 to 37. So the key concepts we'll be covering today, they are on our screen, is the kingdom of God versus the earthly kingdom. So the difference between, uh, just briefly, between uh, God's kingdom, which we are called as heirs to it, um, found in Romans 18 verse uh, 17, versus the earthly kingdom, whose standard can never supersede God's kingdom. And then secondly is clinging on to life. What is clinging on to life? It's clinging on to our earthly lives, our material possessions, our status uh, professionally, or worldly standards. You know, some of us are uh, unknown TikTokers or, you know, influencers on Instagram or doctors. I've heard of people who, funnily enough, um, my wife related the story um, when um, this doctor came into the bank, right? And... um, on the envelope to issue out a new card, um, it was written Dr. So-and-so, but she didn't want to be referred to as her surname or her first and last name. She said, no, please address me as Dr. Who and Who, which then speaks to her identity has been shaped by the world <laughs> and not by God's kingdom, right? So we need to be careful of that. Lastly, um, our last point we'll be covering today is so spelling error there, losing, losing your life to keep it. Letting go of worldly attachments, mostly in your heart, in order to seek, find, pursue, and live out the will of God in your life. Amen. Shall we dig in? Amen. So let us look at our scriptures today, which um, in verses 17, 20 to 37, uh, chapter 17, verses 20 to 37, the coming of the kingdom of God, that is what it is titled. So, One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replies, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is the Son of Man, or here He is, but don't go out and follow them. 
For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to another, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But the first, but the first, but first the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by, the gener- by this generation. We know this very well, Jesus dying on the cross. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof, imagine just chilling out on the deck of a roof, must not go down into the house to pack. A person out on the field not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill, and one will be taken, the other left. So I'm just going to pause here briefly. Uh, You'll notice that we go from verses 35 to 37. You might wonder what's going on there. Um, in some manuscripts, it's actually, verse 36 is actually uh, removed because it's also uh, captured in Matthew 24, verse 40. But I'm going to read it for you. Verse 36 reads, Two men will be working in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Verse 37, Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Jesus replied, Just as the gathering of vultures show there is carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Amen. So here we see, um, as Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, um, firstly, let's just uh, dissect what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God has no geographical boundaries, right? It begins with the work of God's Spirit in people's lives and in relationships. So Jesus' kingdom, um, this is an extract from um, a book called The Myth of a Christian Nation by Gregory A. Bon- Gregory a. Boyd. He says, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, for it contrasts with the kingdom of the world in every possible way. This is not a simple contrast between good and evil. The contrast is rather between two fundamentally different ways of doing life, two fundamentally different mindsets and belief systems, and two fundamentally different loyalties. Loyalty to the kingdom of God or to the kingdom of this world? Which one should we choose? Of course, the kingdom of God. It's far superior, supersedes the the kingdom of this world. Amen. So if we look briefly at verses 20 to 21, the Pharisees asked, when the kingdom of God, the, the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come, but not knowing that it had already arrived. You know, the world's concepts for evidence was, was ruling their mind, evidently, right? Um, and therefore, it blinded their hearts to a witness who was standing there right before them. A clear indication 
of the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ was right there in front of them, and they didn't realize that the kingdom of God had come. So we do this when we are caught unaware by the law in our land as well. You can recall for those who are driving cars, especially the fast ones, when we get a speeding fine, right? Does this relate to anyone? So imagine now the traffic cop comes out, you're speeding, cruising on the highway there, doing your 140, 160. Traffic cop comes out there from the bush, unbeknownst to you. And there you go. And then you ask yourself where, where the traffic officer came from. So we ask, we, we ask where the traffic officer came from. But we ask because <laughs> we are now caught speeding. And then we asked him, why weren't you visible, you know? Why did you just come out of nowhere? But now, this is now the thing, is that the kingdom of God teaches us to resist such institutional programs for, for evidence, always wanting evidence. Um, we want evidence. You know, you want to see the traffic officer coming out on the, oh, maybe you want the traffic officer to notify you, hey, I'm 500 meters ahead, slow down, you know? I don't know. But these are not the things we should be looking for, right? We should only be looking for what God is doing in people's hearts, right? Because the kingdom of God is everywhere indeed. And we cannot now say we want to see visible signs of when it is coming. Then we are just like the rest of the world. So let us look at verses 22 to 24. Verse 22, Jesus says, The time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. Because you don't need to be looking for it with your visible eyes, right? Isaiah 55 verse 6 relates this beautifully. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on, call on him now while he is near. Some may be reminded by this, and this is more fondly um, stated in Isul, when it says, Amen. So seeking the Lord while he may be found means coming to him fully through the way Jesus made on the cross, brothers and sisters, and being filled by the Holy Spirit. That is very crucial, very important. Being filled by the Holy Spirit. So, we are evidently cautioned here that many will claim to be the Messiah as well in the end times. Many will claim that the Son of Man has returned and people will believe them, which is the unfortunate truth. But now Jesus warns us not to take these reports seriously no matter how convincing they may be. Because when Jesus returns, brothers and sisters, his power is going to be present. It will be evident to everyone. We don't need to be watching, we won't need to be watching CNN news, or we don't need to be watching Instagram. Um, imagine a news reporter saying, um, there's an object in the sky that we are not sure of. Um, it looks like a plane, it looks like a, a fly, but it's got a, a glorified um, light um, and it's descending upon the earth. It won't be like that. 
um, but it will be your heart's conviction because of your, of your salvation and your faith in Christ. Something in you, I imagine it to be, brothers and sisters, like a quickening in your heart when you first received your salvation. There will be a quickening in your heart that the Savior is coming back, and that will be one of the signs, I believe, in my heart that he is coming back. So when Jesus returns, his power and presence will be evident to everyone. No one will need to spread the message. All will see for themselves, the entire world, all at the same time. Imagine that, eh? We can't even see that with the news. How limited are our news then? Because <laughs> if something happens right now, you know, we have to see it in different time zones before we can, you know, all realize it. But when Jesus comes back, we will all see it, all at the same time. And we will witness it all at the same time. Amen. This is 25 to 27. Jesus alludes to his death on the cross for our sins. Jesus lost his life so that we could keep ours. That is the truth we live with and it's the truth that we know. So Jesus makes a link to the return of the Son of Man to that of Noah and the flood. Until the floods came, people carried on in ignorance. You know, hosting parties, banquets, and weddings. Whilst Noah and his family aborted the ark. Imagine aborting the Titanic. Uh, this time they were aborting the ark. Right? Those on board gained um, a rite of passage through their obedience to God, which we see in Genesis 6-8. to Another example which is very familiar to, to many is that of in Lot's day by the destruction of Sodom. And uh, I happened to just watch a, a short two-minute um, YouTube um, clip on this as well, you know, where they've basically recreated, you know, what it would have looked like when, when God was sending um, uh, uh, fireballs of sulfur onto the nation of Sodom. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very vivid, but it brings about the reality of how far gone those people were and, and how the anger of God had turned towards them. And he destroyed an entire, entire city. Imagine an entire city being destroyed and not even one soul being left, but that of Lot's family, who had chosen to obey God, and God gave them a rite of passage to leave the city, even to a city of their choice, which was the next town. Um, how gracious is our God, but how evidently destructive is our sin to God um, that an entire nation or an entire city would be destroyed? They had gone f far beyond, you know, what God had really called them to. So, but yeah, we see this example, and when the fire, when with the fire, then burning sulfur rained down from heaven, and it destroyed them all. And that's found in Genesis 19, for those of you who would like to read that. So we do not know when Christ will return, but we know that he will return suddenly. So we must, we must remain morally and spiritually ready at all times and live our lives as if he was returning today. Amen. So we must be ready at any time, any moment. So you can imagine if you, if you have a thought that you know that does not appease God, deal with it quickly because you do not know in the next moment whether Jesus returns or not. It means that we need to be in a state of self-readiness at all times, in any given moment.
because his coming could be evidently at any moment. Amen. So we're just going to speak about clinging on to our lives. What does clinging on to our lives mean? 9 to 33 speaks of this quite well. Until the morning, Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual. So it will be like our getting up this morning, coming to church, um, or before that, you'd hope that you first shower, you dress, you know, <laughs> and then you come to church. Um, that it will be business as usual up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof, as we said, must not go down into the house to pack. A person out on the field must not return home. I remember what happened to Lot's wife. Lot's wife turned into a pile of salt. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And, you'll, and if you let your life go, you will save it. So I'd like to relate a little story um, about, uh, about Nozzy and I. So sometime we, when we had just moved here in, in Toti, and, um, you know, everything is great in our marriage, and, you, you know, when things are great in your life, you feel like, you know, I think I've got things, you know, I've got things under control. So it was just, you know, in that moment where we felt like, really, our marriage is really thriving, and we're doing really well, and we are relatable. And my wife, being my wife, um, always got to push the status quo and challenge me, you know, beyond my, my limitations and what have you. Bless her, I love her, but she just stretched me sometimes. Um, she then says to me, um, yes, things are good, but what is the purpose of our marriage, you know, if we don't edify the purposes of God? Sure, it was a, a bit of a gulp moment, you know, that I had to ingest there. And, and as we continue to discuss this and, uh, and speak about how we, our marriage can serve God, um, this was indicated to me that, you know, I need to burst out of my bubble and look around and allow God to lead us in living a, a, a life um, for his purpose as well. So it was a, a revelational moment, but I was like, yikes, you know. Just add some salt to a sweetened affair, you know? <laughs> but it was great. It brought me back to reality and brought me back to the realization that we are serving the kingdom of God and we're not serving ourselves. And that our marriage and everything that we have should be for his kingdom. Amen. Um, so verses 30 to 33, Lot's wife could not detach herself to the life they were leaving behind. So they were leaving behind their home and their possessions, and what have you. But she couldn't let go of this. She, she needed to look back and see what was, what was happening, what was God doing. But yet the angel of the Lord had come before them and said, run to the next city and, and don't look back. But now Lot's, Lot's wife was turned into a pill of salt because she disobeyed the angel's command to not look back. A classic example of worldly life versus salvation, how we can sometimes cling on to our lives instead of clinging on to our salvation, and she was turned into a bag of salt. 
So this serves as a, as a physical demonstration of the spiritual impact of clinging onto our lives rather than the will of God. It invites sin into our lives. So you can imagine at that moment when she turned back, she disobeyed the instruction of God, right? Which deadened her spirit. And it and didn't yield any fruits because the family lost their mother and the two girls had to continue with their father of righteousness. It only yielded disobedience to God. So those clinging on to life are those seeking to escape physical persecution. Unfortunately, Lot's wife didn't, you know, she just, you know, fizzled into <laughs> a pile of salt. So those who live for themselves display these common attitudes, which I'd like to describe in, two, in three, um, three words here. The first one being materialism. How often we, we trap ourselves in this. I want it, and I work hard to get it. All that I see is real. Unseen things are merely ideas and dreams. The second one being individualism. I work hard for me, and you work hard for you. I make it, you may not. That's your problem, not mine. <laughs> That's harsh, eh? <laughs> Third one being skepticism. Anything I'm not convinced about can't be important. Everything important to know, I can figure out. So those who have these, these attitudes, you know, may protect themselves for now, right? But they will lose the spiritual dimensions to their lives. So we must keep our commitment to Christ at full strength. Then we will be ready when he returns. Amen. So let us just speak briefly about losing our lives in order to keep it. What does that mean? Verse 37 um, um, explains this quite well. When the disciples asked, where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vouchers shows there is a carcass nearby. So these signs indicate that the end is near. Now, if any of you have watched those um, wildlife documentaries, you're all as witness. And the lions will go after a prey, or catch it, uh, start devouring it, and then obviously the, the, the vultures will start circling um, the dead and carcass, because they know, you know, the lions will eventually have their fall, and they'll go and, you know, laze out under a tree somewhere, and then the vultures will come, and, you know, they'll have the chance to, to feed themselves. So Jesus was answering, and disciples question, and he will say, and he says, and he quotes this familiar proverb about the vultures circling a carcass. One vulture circling overhead doesn't mean much, but a gathering of vultures means there is a carcass nearby, right? Likewise, when one sign of the ending may not be significant, but when many signs occur, the second coming of Christ is near. And if you could just give yourself five seconds and just think about how many signs we are witnessing in the world at the moment, the things that Revelation proclaims that things like this will happen. I mean, um, a couple of weeks or months ago, we heard that the, the river Euphrates is dried up. And that is in the Bible. When we are nearing the end times, things like this will happen. 
If we look at 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 to 4, don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God. And I like the fact that it, um, it puts God in, 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 a, in a small G there, signifying that people will have many gods that they serve, or the God of this world, and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. How's that? Just deceiving people like that. Believers should stand firm, um, like in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 to 16. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you. As Paul relates, dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, we are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Amen. Yeah. So I love Paul's letter there to um, the, the people of Thessalonica. Um, and I love the last um, verse there. Because you can imagine the things that we have to go through, the things that we have to experience, all the wars that are threatening our entire existence, you know, that let it comfort us because we are in God. Let it comfort us and strengthen us to continue to pursue speaking and proclaiming the word of God and proclaiming who he is because we are doing a good thing. Amen. So the kingdom of God looks and acts like Jesus Christ, right? like Calvary, like God's eternal triune, um, as related in the book of um, the myth of a, of a Christian nation. It says that it consists of people graciously embracing others and sacrificing themselves in service to others. It consists of people trusting and employing power under rather than power over. Even when they, like Jesus, suffer because of this, it consists of people imitating the Savior who died for them and for all people. It consists of people submitting to God's rule and doing His will. And that's just a snippet from The Myth of a Christian Nation by Gregory A. Boyd. So as we, you know, just take a collection of these things, brothers and sisters, let us just remember that our lives are for His glory. They are for His kingdom. They are to glorify the kingdom of God. We are to let loose of the things of this world. We are not saying that we don't need the things of this world. We are merely saying we need to let loose, hold them at arm's length, but hold true to the kingdom of God and what He requires of us and the, and the teachings that Jesus Christ proclaimed and taught whilst he, he walked the earth. And with that said, I'd like us to just, um, to just stand up 
and, um, and fetch the elements of communion. And when we gather back, um, I will share a verse with you. And then we'll continue from there. Amen. Matthew 16, verse 25, reads, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So as we perhaps just close our eyes and um, we just ponder on that word, just lament on that word, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. What are the things that we need to lose in our lives? What are the things that we need to let go of in our lives? What are the things that so that we can save our lives? Maybe we need to let go of ourselves and the, and, the, and the world and the kingdom of this world and we need to take on salvation. Maybe we need to um, let loose of our monetary possessions so that God can fill us with what he wants to direct us with in order to utilize um, our assets, our professional accreditations to glorify his kingdom. What will you let go of in order for God to save those areas of your life? So here we see how very real losing their lives was for the disciples, for the gospel, as well as for Jesus Christ who lost his life. I think today we need to pledge our entire existence to his service. If we try and save our lives from death, pain or discomfort, we may risk losing eternal life in Christ. Why don't we vow to let go of these things, brothers and sisters, that keep us from fully committing our lives to him in all areas of our lives? Why don't we choose to walk in obedience to his will this day? As we partake in communion, let us remember his body, his body that was broken for our transgressions and, and our sins. Let us partake in the bread. And as we remember the blood that was spilt, spilt, spilt on the cross so that we may be redeemed from sin and gain a chance to be with him in eternity. Let us partake. Father, we thank you. You are worthy of all praise and honor. Thank you, Heavenly Father for speaking into our lives today, mighty God and Father. We pray that our Lord, indeed, Heavenly Father, from this teaching, we may choose to lose our lives, O Lord, Heavenly Father, for your glory. That our Lord, it does not matter, Heavenly Father, our material or any possessions that we have before us, Lord, Heavenly Father. We strive so hard, Heavenly Father, to gain, O Lord, Heavenly Father, that which does not glorify you. But today, we choose to choose, Heavenly Father, your will, Almighty God, for our lives. Which, as you created us, O Lord, Heavenly Father, 
to give glory to you in this present world, O Lord, Heavenly Father, that we may utilize everything in our disposal to give glory to you, that your glory may ascend above the world, O Lord, that every God, O Heavenly Father, that is magnified in this world, O Lord, Heavenly Father, may be brought down and your name may be lifted up high. We thank you, Heavenly Father, as you continue to do a great work in us, Almighty God, through this word we have received today, that it may breathe life into every situation, O Lord, we come across in our every setting, in our every thought, Almighty God, through our responses, what we listen to, what we see, O Lord, Heavenly Father, and we perceive, may it be for your glory, Lord, as we lose our lives, O Lord, we say, we want to keep it for eternity, Lord, Heavenly Father. The day that we will see you and witness you, Lord, Heavenly Father, and, and glorify you throughout of all of eternity. Mighty God, we thank you. And we bless and we honor your mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.